Hello, welcome to The Final Swipe, a podcast about healing our hearts and finding love. I'm your host, Nikki Novo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Final Swipe. So happy to be here with you guys, especially as we record in a time of quarantine. It's just nice to be talking to all of you. And it's extra nice because we have a special guest today who's going to offer so much value. I'm really excited to have her on the show. I love her work. I love the way she expresses herself. I love everything about the way she's doing work in the world. And I just thought it would be a perfect treat for us today. So welcome to the show, Veronica Grant. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So Veronica is a, I I love how she says it, she's a love life coach. So like a life coach, but for love. Um, And she has a a lot of great experience. She's had so many um, beautiful testimonials, just people actually finding love and she's been able to witness that. So her, what she does works. And also um, she's gone through it herself. So I really love that. I, I, she's speaking like from the you know, straight from, straight from the ground. So I'm really excited to have her and to share her wisdom today. So Veronica, I love um, the way you explain your story on your website. And I was hoping you can share a little bit about that. I love that you like that. You, she, so on her about me page, if you guys go there, she, she writes really well and um, has a great story. And I love that you were saying that you were like dating some guy for like six weeks. And that was kind of what broke. That was like your come to Jesus moment, which I I love that you shared that like it's six weeks because I have a lot of clients um, and and a lot of students who, you know, want to judge themselves for being like, my gosh, I only knew this guy for, you know, four weeks or I only knew this person for, you know, X amount of time. And I don't know why it really impacted me so much. And Mm -hmm. I always say like, it doesn't matter. Like the time, you know, I was with somebody for eight years who didn't impact me at all. And then I was with, you know, people for a lot less time that really made a difference in my life. Um, so I love that, like, that was your story of like how everything came to be. So I was hoping you could share that with us today. Yeah. So that story is an interesting one because it was really that moment where I'm sure a lot of your clients and students can relate where you feel like you're making progress, you're maybe attracting better potential matches for you and then like you feel like you take three steps back (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so that's really what this person uh was for me and you know I often tell clients you know sometimes you just have to have like one final incident where shit hits the fan and then (laughs) you know things, things can you know drastically improve from there so with this person um, I had, I think it's important to share actually that I had just come up working on the Obama campaign and so for anyone who's ever worked on a campaign, um, any kind of campaign, but especially like a presidential campaign, it's, it's your life. Like it, you are spending, I don't know, at least a hundred hours a week. You know, you're working basically from seven or 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night. You, you, you put your life on hold, right? Mm-hmm. And I had been doing this job in North Carolina in 2012 and it was going really well. I really loved it despite, you know, the hours and how exhausted I was all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was also on top of the world because I was actually really good at it. It's a very numbers oriented job. Um, most mm-hmm. campaign jobs are. And I'm just that kind of person. Like I'm very like, give me a goal. I can achieve it. And, um, and so I was beginning to get a lot of recognition, not with, not just within the state, but then also within the national campaign, you know, from the headquarters in Chicago. 
And it just had me feeling on top of the freaking world. Like it was just amazing. And then after the campaign, um, we got to go to the inaugural ball in DC. And that is where I met what I call, or who I call banker dude. <laughs> and he anchor dude caught me at banker. Cause he works at a banker. Okay. He works at, he works at a bank. I, I don't remember which bank it was, but, um, and I never dated someone from finance before. Cause I'd been in politics pretty much my entire career at that point. I just I always dated people like me. And so he just <laughs> seemed new and exciting. And, um, you know, he met me at a time and I met him at a time. I love how you think a banker is still- exciting. You were like, oh, banker, <laughs> so exciting. Talk, talk to me. <laughs> well, I mean, like in another conversation, we could talk about my love for personal finance. So um, <laughs> I love Susie Orman. I listen to all her podcasts, you know, so, so I guess it is, I, I'm like, oh, banker dude, can we talk about like 401ks and Ross and everything? Yeah. But um, I, I guess for most people that, you know, produces a lot of anxiety, but for me, I'm like, yeah, just give me more. Um, <laughs> uh but anyway, we digress. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we caught each other at a time when I was personally just feeling, you know, still writing the high off working on the campaign. I was just feeling like better than I really ever had before, you know, really, especially my professional um, life, but I think in my life in general. And, um, and so we met and it was really fun and we started dating and I was moving out to DC soon. So we just kept texting and talking well, I went back to North Carolina to get my stuff and then I moved up there and then we kept dating and kept talking and kept seeing each other. And then we had a date planned and he texted me probably about 30 minutes before he was supposed to come pick me up. And he was like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I got accidentally too drunk with my friends and I can't come pick you up. And my heart just like dropped in my stomach. I was so excited. Everything in my life was just perfect. And then boom, I get this. And so then he, cause you really he, saw something with this guy, excuse me, sorry. Like oh, you, yeah. you, oh, you like yeah. thought it was going somewhere. I mean, it was a solid six weeks and you, even between yeah. a move and everything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I really thought like this, this is, I mean, I don't know if I said like, Oh, this is going to be like, oh, first of all, I always dated from the perspective of like, Oh, I could see myself with this person because honestly <laughs> I kind of used to lose myself and those, and those people. So of course I could see myself with those people because where was Veronica? Not anywhere to be found. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, I, I thought this would be like really serious and I was really excited to move to DC because at that point I had, um, you know, I lived in South Carolina, I lived in Charleston, I was working in Wilmington on the Obama campaign, North Carolina, which both are solid, small to medium sized cities. And so I was just excited to be moving to a big city where I was like, there's all these single people at my fingertips. Like, I was right. just really, really excited about that. And I'm like, wow, this is happening faster than I thought. I moved to DC. And then I started dating this hotshot guy. Like, this is this is the dream, right? Mm-hmm. And I just got totally lost in that. And so, um, you know, when someone's texting you you can see little text bubbles pop up so I could see that he was still texting me after he told me that he was you know too drunk to pick me up and he so I waited to see what he texted and he was like but here's the deal I'll get a cab for you this is before Uber I'll get a cab for you and um, you can come out with me and my friends and that way you can actually meet my friends and so he tried to spend it as like this is a good thing right like this means progress (laughs) <laughs> and I just pretended to be okay with it. And and this is the part where we start taking three steps back. So I went out there. It was fine. You know, I'm kind of like a shy, quiet person at first. And he has like a bazillion friends. 
And so it was just really intimidating and it wasn't that much fun, but I was trying to, you know, put on, you know, the happy girlfriend face or whatever. And that's what it was. And then I'm pretty sure it was the next, either the next weekend or maybe the weekend after that, we were supposed to go out again. And um, this time he got a little too drunk at brunch and we couldn't go out that night. And he texted me and he was like, Hey, I just got a little too drunk at brunch. I think I'm just going (laughs) to, Day in Virginia. And for those of you who are in DC, you're familiar, like I lived in DC proper. He lives in Virginia. So like, it's already kind of a big deal to be dating someone from, you know, Virginia, <laughs> totally. not in DC itself. I'm sure people from New York can probably think the same way. Like you don't go, you know, you don't take a subway or switch borough right. date or whatever. So, um, and this time there was like no follow-up text of, Oh, but come out to Virginia to, to hang out or whatever. It was just nothing. It was just complete radio silence for the next a few days and then he finally called to apologize and said hey I really thought that you know I could do this I really thought that you know this this I can't remember exactly what I said as a, as a while ago but basically you know he thought that he could do this he was excited about me but clearly he has some stuff to work on and he needs to do that by himself you know in this situation he was very much the adult <laughs> he said what he what was the appropriate thing I think to say after this kind of behavior and for me, I was falling back into the, you know, fixer upper thing. Oh, but I can help you. I can, I'll be there for you. I can support you as you go through this. I can see the man, who, you know, that you really are beneath all this, you know, I pulled all of that kind of crap and he wasn't buying it. He wasn't interested in it. And of course, at the time I was heartbroken and confused and told myself that we were just going to put this on hold while he did his work they need to do on himself even though that was definitely never part of the conversation I just told myself that to make myself feel better mm-hmm. and and everything that I had you know all you know all the good feelings that I'd had from you know the Obama campaign and then meeting you know this guy who just seems amazing and he was like whining and dining me and like by the way campaign staffers don't get paid that much money so if someone's like whining and dining you like of course <laughs> right and so all of that just came crashing down and like all of the accomplishments from the year before the new job I'd gotten in DC, all of that just, you know, I just, it didn't matter anymore. I didn't care. I was just so mopey and depressed. And, you know, that's the bathroom floor moment that I was, that I was, um, you know, referring to on my about page story. And I was talking to a guy friend um, at the time when I was, um, I think I was actually, trying to force myself to date and I was so upset about banker dude and I was trying to put mascara on so I could go on this date but like I was crying but also trying to put mascara on so like it doesn't work very well and I was talking to one of my guy friends actually from the campaign and um and also like just a side note people who work in a campaign are often like have certain kinds of personalities like usually have to be okay with like you know making big asks of people and not being worried about if people say no and just, you know, doing crazy things because working on a campaign is just absolutely crazy. So this is pretty much the kind of guy that I was talking to and we were just really, really good friends. And so I was telling him about what happened and he just said, Veronica, I'm so tired of hearing this. You just have to get the fuck over yourself. Um, you know, he should have been so lucky to go on a date with you and he couldn't even stay sober, you know, something like, along those lines. And at first I was like, what a jerk. He's supposed to be on my side. And then, and then he's telling you like, stop, like stop being a baby. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's when it like all hit me and like, you know, 
like I said, like this relationship was three steps back. And so for the years before that, that was the first time I had seen a spiritual counselor and really realized that some of my stuff around relationships and dating came from my childhood, which we can talk about later. Um, and I went through a yoga teacher training and a health coach training and all of those things are very much like personal growth oriented, at least the programs that, that I did. And so, you know, I learned that like, oh, wow, like I'm attracting people from an unhealthy, you know, place, a very kind of superficial place. Cause that's how I learned to connect with people and doing, you know, working with my counselor and also, you know, doing these other programs helped me to really see that. And the, the funny thing is, is I was actually attracting really great guys before this guy. And not that he was a bad guy, just obviously he wasn't, he wasn't available. He wants the same thing, right? Yeah. And he, I just got totally lost in the relationship and, and everything. And, and that's my bathroom, bathroom floor moment when it hit me like, okay, now I get it. Like I allow myself to source my worthiness from outside of me. So whether it's, my career. And again, I was feeling good in my job. And like, I want people to feel good, like having a fulfilling, fun, rewarding career is important, but it's not the source of worthiness. Same with relationships or your body size or any of those things. And it was that moment when my friend, who I thought was being a jerk, but was just giving me a wake up call. That's Mm -hmm. when I realized it. And that's when I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Like my worthiness has to come from within. And I already had those tools from the work that I've been doing. It just finally hit me on how I actually apply it to Right. You had to, that's called integration is what we would call that. Where like you, you, you know, there's a time where you're like acquiring all the knowledge. Um, You're, you know, getting, getting, you're reading all the books, you're doing all the things and you may not know, you may know them very well, but then something happens in life that initiates you, which is, the bathroom floor. Um, and then ultimately you are given the choice to either, um, integrate what you already know, or just keep that separation going. So you decided to integrate, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. So and that was probably in March. That was probably okay. in March of that year. And I met my husband. Well, technically I met him in late April, but we didn't start dating until June. So yeah, I mean, not saying that like Amazing. it happens like that for everyone, but for me, like it was just what well, was, was building just, like, up all- for that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Was there anything that you saw yourself doing differently, or um, I mean, that that bathroom floor is like kind of what we would call like it for you know people would probably call that like an aha moment. It was some sort of shift, mm-hmm. some sort of like light went off. So that itself, I'm sure, like did what it needed to do. But did you find yourself doing anything differently um, this after that? I think, you know, I, I got back into dating pretty quickly after that. And I was mostly dating online. And at that point, like my only goal was, this is so fun. I live in a big city now. Cause again, I'm like from North Carolina, like small town. So, I mean, I mean, I guess some people don't think DC is a big city, but for me living in Washington, DC was like, like this awesome thing. And I'm like, there's just you could just swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe. And it's like, if you're in it's like maybe 10 swipes and you get through everyone. Um, so I just had the only goal of my only goal is just to have fun and meet people. And I would go on these dates and, you know, a lot of them, I guess, well, really technically none of them really went anywhere because ultimately I met my now husband. Um, but it didn't like, it didn't like, mm, like it didn't erode on my worthiness or like, is this going to happen for me? My goal was I'm just going to go on the state and see who the person is and see like what kind of 
like what a story is or what kind of interest he has or you know what is what his perspective on on life was mm-hmm. and that was really my my only goal and um you know it worked i think yeah that's actually that's actually how it happened for me as well like i just got to a place yeah. that i was like this is this is fun and there's still days that i'm like that was fun you know like i i really am happy that i let myself do that um but yeah. also i think one thing that you said that's very important is that you were saying like you didn't you know whether it worked out or it didn't you know whether it was a good date or a bad date or whatever it didn't it didn't matter which kind of means that like we don't develop stories or, um, mm-hmm. around what happened. So if I met this guy and he was great, but I wasn't attracted to him, like I don't use that meeting as an opportunity to tell myself that I'm never going to find somebody who I'm not, who I'm attracted to. So what totally. you're saying is like you went through it, but you didn't stop at every date and tell yourself some like stories that were going to basically not get you to where you want to be. So, um, yeah. and that, I think at the end of the day, it's like what you're saying, like you're, you know, you're just saying like, that didn't erode me is what you were saying, but it didn't, it didn't yeah. stop me. So, and I think that's what yeah. made it happen so quickly for you too. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, did you, why, so one of an interesting part of your story and, and it's a, a very common story is that, uh, you were like your friend said, like this amazing woman, like you had just worked on like one of the, you know, a campaign that we'll always remember for the rest of our, you know, adult, like all our lives. Um, you had a lot going on. You're very successful, like got yourself out of, you know, like moved from a small town into DC. I mean, you had so many things going for yourself. And I, we see that a lot with our students and our clients, like just these women that are just so impressive that I'm impressed by. Um, and even these men, I have a lot of men clients that I'm just like, I'm so impressed by you. Like why? Um, and then, but some, for some reason, like the love situation can't, doesn't click. Um, they feel like it's that one thing that they can't seem to, that we can't seem to figure out because we've all been there. Do you have any idea why that happens? Yeah, I, I have some theories. Um, I think that, I think there's a couple of things. One is we live in a world that doesn't value um, emotions um, or really vulnerability, even though we might say we do. Mm-hmm. And so to succeed in, you know, standard corporate America, you know, I'm not talking about the more progressive companies, but standard corporate America, it's a very masculine, you know, goal oriented and also like linear environment, like do this, 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 and then you'll get a promotion or you'll get a raise and then you'll have this mm-hmm. job and then you can get that job and you can have that job. And so for a lot of people's brains, it's just, it's, it's very clear. It's very linear. You know, there's a next step and you know what to do when it comes to relationships. It's not always like that. Actually, I don't think it's ever like that. It's not a linear process. It's not like you do this and then you sign up with this, you know, thing. And then you send out this many times. Right. Exactly. You hurt once. And then after that, yeah, there's no formula. Yeah. So it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not linear. And in addition to that, um, you, I mean, you have to like emotions and vulnerability are absolutely required. And while everybody is craving connection, everyone craves love. And I think a lot of people want relationships, if not marriage, um, we're not really available for the potential to be rejected. And that is really what I think vulnerability is all about. And I know a lot of people love to blame online dating for that. Like has online dating world 
exacerbated that perhaps, but I wouldn't put too much, you know, weight onto that because, you know, it's just unnecessary. Uh, so I, I think that's, I think that's one reason. I think another reason is, you know, this is what a lot of my work revolves around is it's just what we were taught about ourselves, men, love, women, relationships, how to get love, all of those things as, as a kid. Um, you know, for me, I grew up in a house where the women were very concerned about how their bodies looked and ultimately concerned about how the girls in the family, you know, how their bodies looked. And mm. so I can remember constant comments around if I was gaining weight or if I was losing weight or whatever. And so I learned, again, again, I wasn't consciously aware of this when I was little, but I learned unconsciously that if I look a certain way, which I could control through, you know, counting calories and exercise, that I could get other people's approval. And approval feels like validation and validation feels like love, right? And so that was a connection that I made early on. That was something that I realized, you know, doing the work that I that I did when I realized that my love life sucked. Uh, and so it's not really that surprising then that as an adult without that, you know, connection or that brain wiring ever being you know, shifted to something a little bit more healthy, it's not really that surprising that it was very easy for me to attract one night stands or people who wanted friends with benefits because I could, I could attract and find that quote unquote love slash validation slash attention mm -hmm. through physical means with, with men. And that's not what I wanted at all. Like, I mean, I wanted to be married from a very young age and my, my older sister is seven years older than me and she got married right out of college. So she must've been 22, 23. And so at that point I was like 14, 15 or something like that. And so I was in high school and I was like, yes, that's what I want. Like I want to meet my high school sweetheart. <laughs> I'll settle for a college sweetheart. Um, and then so that's, that's it. Like I never wanted these one night stands or friends with benefits situations. And yet that's what I was always, what I was always getting. And so I think no matter how successful someone might be in their career or how, you know, other parts, how successful other parts of their life might be, you have to look at, you know, kind of what the wiring was. Like, what did you learn to be true about how you got ultimately love, safety, and belonging? Because that's going to have an effect as an adult. And it tends to affect our romantic relationships more than anywhere else. That's, you know, that's beautiful. Um, no, I, I mean, that's such a great way to look at it because we all think that love is this like universal word that means this, this word that means the same to everybody and that has the same meaning to everyone, which is not true, right? Like love mm -hmm. can simply be, like you said, validation, which is totally different than what like the origin like of love, what love really truly is. But we don't yeah. know that we're just, we don't know what love like looks like. Like um, in my family, um, worry is love. Like if you worry for somebody, you love them. So like mm -hmm. if, so the more you worry, like the more you're loving somebody, the more you feed, you know, I, I, I'm, um, I grew up in a Cuban, my, my family's Cuban. So like the more you feed people the opposite, right? Like if you're skinny, you're in trouble. Like you're obviously not being loved. <laughs> um, on the contrary, the more you're fed, the more loved you are. Um, and mm. that's just like, those are just different ways of looking at love, which may be fine for some people, but when you're looking, when you're looking for love, it may be very confusing. Um, do yeah. you have any tips or any ideas on how we can avoid um, getting into those friends with benefit relationships or those like, um, and we'll use another word because I think a lot of us don't 
even see it as a friends with benefit relationship. I, I like to think it's just somebody who's like clearly not willing to commit to us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who doesn't show any signs of wanting to commit who like leaves things up in the air. Um, do you have any ideas of like maybe how we can either avoid them or, or, or any thoughts about, about those relationships since you were talking about it? Yeah, I think that it doesn't matter so much on like what the specific pattern is for someone. So whether that's their pattern or it's something else, I think that a really helpful question to ask is, um, well, I, I, I think the, I'll give you the the short answer or the short question and then the longer question. But the short question is is why? Like why am I why am I accepting this in my life or why am I pretending to be okay with this? Um, and then that begs the the deeper question of you know when you know for example like you know when I was um, you know kind of putting up with these relationships where the ultimately the guy was not <laughs> committing to me or when it was very clearly just going to be like a one night stand or maybe a two night stand or, or something that, um, you know, a a question that I wish I'd asked at the time, but I didn't know at the time was what does this remind me of, or what kind of situation does this remind me of, or when have I felt like this before? And Mm. those kind of questions can help you then trace back like the answer as to why you're doing something. So for me, like I really just wanted to feel validated I wanted to feel good enough and this is really where my worthiness began to be outsourced or I began to outsource it outside of me right because if I was skinny then I would get um, appraisal from approval from my mom or my grandma and that felt good so that began my pattern of outsourcing my worthiness Uh, and then as as an adult when I was trying to find love but not finding it at all if I had asked myself in those moments the question of what does it remind me of or what I felt like before? Well, if I was being really honest with myself, what I felt like is I just wanted love and I was just doing anything that I knew how in order to get that void ultimately filled. And so when you can pinpoint why you're doing something or why you're allowing for something to happen or why you're settling for something, then it begins to give you the information that you need in order to heal whatever the wound and then whatever limiting belief that created, and then whatever action that created. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I know that um, I used to, I, I was like always a fast, like I would sleep with people very quickly. That was like my my thing. Um, <laughs> and I knew that like for me, um, I was trying to create depth. Like I was trying to create intimacy um, and mm-hmm. I didn't really know how I, I wasn't really given the tools. I, I, I didn't know how to stick around through hard things. So, um, I just thought like, well, if we get intimate and this is just crazy, you know, not that it's crazy. I don't want to judge myself, but it, it is kind of crazy to think that like, you know, that I really just thought like, well, if we sleep together, then that's intimacy, like poof, like poof, like that's mm-hmm. intimacy, which is like not the case, but that's really like what my, you know, what my mind or, or my body was thinking was going to happen. Um, and not that like, and I don't, not that, you know, sleeping too early is anything I judge because I, I slept with my husband early and he'll still tell you that and he'll like laugh about it or whatever. Um, but that was already when I was at another place where I was feeling empowered about how I was doing it The like yeah. before that. So I was kind of doing the same action. But the first half, like the first half of it was more like, I just 
I didn't know how to get close. I didn't know how to do, do the vulnerability thing. So I would just make physical intimacy. And I thought that that would, and then that just ended up making me feel like really empty at some point. And then, then I started doing the same thing, kind of reworking and being like, why am I doing this? Um, why am I doing something oh, that doesn't make me, that doesn't make me feel good. Uh, so have you, do you ever run into the situation with clients who, um, kind of are not ready to be honest about how much damage those kind of relationships do. Like I have clients that are like, well, it's, it's okay. Like it's not really hurting my chances of finding love. Like, do you ever see that in your practice? Um, a little bit, but by the time, you know, you know, I have a podcast where I talk a lot about inner child work and I coach people on the podcast, you know, around, you know, doing inner child work. And so by the time they get to me, they're, they're just like, whatever the deeper thing is, Veronica, I need you to find it and help me <laughs> and help me, help me clear it. So, you know, these days I don't really attract that many clients that just, um, aren't really ready to do the work or aren't ready to see whatever needs to be seen, uh, or just want help with like their profile or texting or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that I don't have clients, for example, that, you know, online dating, I think is a great tool to meet people, especially if you're introverted or short on time or ha- have kids and you're a single mom. Um, but I think it also can very much be a distraction, right, from, you know, I was actually just on the phone before this call with with a client who, you know, we're in coronavirus mode right now, so everyone is home. And online dating has been just something she's used to distract herself because she's she's extroverted, but also she likes to not feel her feelings <laughs> and mm-hmm. and work with you know some of the some of the stuff that's you know that's underneath. And so, you know, sometimes with a client, whether it's you know they're doing some sort of sabotaging behavior, whether it's like continuing the distraction with online dating or continuing a relationship that we know isn't going to go anywhere. You know, sometimes that happens, but I also try to make sure my clients see that it's their choice. Like it's it's their choice to stay in the relationship or stay doing the self-sabotaging thing. And I think that even if they're making a choice where eventually shit will probably hit the fan, um, mm-hmm. but if they can see it as their choice, then it still feels like a more empowered choice and it doesn't feel like things were so out of control because then when we get to the other side, we're like, well, I knew that was going to happen. And sometimes like we were talking earlier in the call, you have to like have that moment where it's like, okay, now I really get it. <laughs> you mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so what else did I want? Oh, the, how do you, we were, I, I noticed that you talk about um, the feeling of loneliness and um, just that you experience that feeling. Obviously we're, at the time of recording this, we are in coronavirus um, situation going on here. Um, so there's a lot of loneliness um, happening right now. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that feeling and um, how, you know, how to move out of it or, or do you think it's good to stay in it? Like any just thoughts about loneliness? Oh, I have lots of thoughts about loneliness. <laughs> and here's my favorite thought about it. Um, being lonely and feeling or being lonely and being alone are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yet we treat them the same way. So what I mean by that is, you know, if it's Friday night and you're alone 
you could call a friend or you could call someone you're dating or whatever. And, you know, when it's not coronavirus time, you could maybe even make plans and, you know, go be with someone. And then you physically would not be alone. And if you don't want to be alone, that's what you do. However, we confuse loneliness with being alone. Loneliness, you can be in the middle of New York City and feel lonely. You can be married and feel lonely. You can be hanging out with your partner or your spouse, and they can be sitting on the couch right next to you, and you can feel lonely. And so the problem is, you know, and again, I know loneliness is going to come up a lot, especially right now, but, you know, this is definitely a pre- and post-coronavirus issue. When you feel lonely, the the medicine to that is not to call someone, especially someone that you may or may not be kind of sleeping with or kind of dating or kind of talking to online because that's just an emotionally unsafe position that you might put yourself in. And so the medicine to loneliness is really the connection with yourself because loneliness is really more about a void and wanting that void to be filled. And the only way you can truly fill that void is is you, is, is yourself. No one can fill that void for you. No amount of swiping or sex or phone conversations or dates or anything can, can ever fill that void. And, and so I think that, especially in coronavirus time, really any time, you know, one way that I like to help my clients, you know, work with the loneliness is, a lot of times the disconnection we might feel with ourselves is actually related to inner child. So, you know, if we think that we're unlovable or we're not good enough or that we always mess everything up or, you know, whatever the story is that we tell ourselves, like that story that you tell yourself did not just come out of thin air. Like no one was born being a people pleaser. Nobody was born thinking they're not good enough or not lovable. Like everyone is born just assuming that love is, you know, they're lovable and that they're good Mm -hmm. enough and all of these things. And then things happen in life, especially in childhood that begin to shift that story. And so when you feel a disconnection with yourself, it's really from that inner child because she went through something big or small that made her feel not good enough or unlovable. And so that's when the disconnection really began. And it now perpetuates as an unconscious story, an unconscious belief or unconscious emotion that we still carry around. And so I think one of the best ways to, you know, I don't like to use the word cure, but cure the loneliness for lack of a better term right now is, um, you know, to connect with that inner little girl who, you know, felt unlovable in that moment that, I don't know, her dad left or that moment that her mom was too busy to go to her soccer game or whatever it is, because that will ultimately then begin to fill the void, which will help fill the emotion, which will help shift the story, which will help you feel better in real time. And if you're extroverted and you're feeling alone, then like go hang out with someone or unless it's coronavirus time, then call someone. But (laughs) you have to have enough self-awareness to know the difference between when you're just alone and you're like, "Eh, I don't want to be alone right now or when you're feeling Mm -hmm. lonely. Yeah. And it's amazing how we get used to the feeling of loneliness, which is basically like those of us who have the pattern of attracting quote unquote unavailable people, like people that are emotionally unavailable. And like, that is a def like to me, that's like the definition of loneliness. Like when you're, mm-hmm. you're, I almost feel like loneliness, um, not that it's worse, but it, it feels it the, one of the hardest times is like when you're with somebody who you feel lonely, 
even when you're with them, like you were saying, um, because they're not emotionally available to connect with you. They're not able to, mm-hmm. you know, like almost like you don't know how to make that connection. Um, or you're just kind of used to being in relationships or, you know, and that could be that your, you know, your parents weren't emotionally available. So therefore like you don't know anything different. So you just keep, you, you almost gotten used to like a loneliness feeling. So I think it's also important to know that like loneliness is a feeling. And once you're aware of it, you can start bringing in new feelings, like really kind of mm-hmm. focusing on like, what kind of other emotions do I want to bring in? What does connection look like? What does it feel like? Um, you know, starting to see like, what is it, what does it feel like to be connected to myself? Like that's one way of feeling connection. And then like, what, who are the friends that make me feel connected and, and really like playing with those feelings and those, those, that energy, that emotion so that, um, we're, loneliness is not the default anymore. So, um, totally. yeah, uh, definitely. Cause, um, I'm jealous of the people who feel alone, not lonely, but alone during coronavirus. Cause I have three children and a husband <laughs> so, <laughs> like, alone. sounds like the closet in my, you know, in my bedroom. It's like, that's my alone time. <laughs> so, um, totally different than loneliness. Um, what else did I want to ask? Oh, so what are you like, what are some themes that you see in your clients that you have been excited to see and excited to move people out of any themes that have kind of come up for you lately? Yeah. I think the the most exciting thing is the people pleasing. Yeah, Um, It just seems to be a really big theme in, in my community and People pleasing is an exhausting way to live. And um, I think there's a lot of women who have people pleasing tendencies who might be at a state where they're like, well, you know what, I'd rather just be single than, you know, be in an unhappy relationship. And it's like, of course, of course you would. I would want my client to be single over being in an unhappy relationship. Of course. But those are only two choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be in a happy, healthy um, like soul fulfilling relationship. And so when I'm able to help a client, I don't do this. My clients do this themselves. I'm just simply the guide and holding the space. But when they're able to really let go of some of the people pleasing behaviors and, you know, for those that don't have people pleasing tendencies, it can hard, be hard to relate to how difficult it is to, to let go of those behaviors. But those behaviors in particular, you know, people pleasers obviously can be kind and generous, but they're not doing the people pleasing behaviors because they're kind and generous. They're doing it because that's how they feel good enough mm-hmm. and that's how they derive their worthiness. And so to not, to not do those old habits and those old patterns, it's asking them to um, find a new way to feel good enough and to feel worthy. And that's no small task. And so when, um, I had this client, she's actually one of the very first clients I worked with years ago, and she was massive people pleaser, no confidence, thought she was just doing everything wrong constantly. And um, she had been married twice, she raised her son already, you know, so um, she just thought, well, you know, that's just me and I'll just live out my golden years and, you know, that's that. And she met uh, this really nice man who I have not met yet, which I hope to hear someday. Um, but <laughs> he's just like, seems like the greatest. And they've been together for uh, three or four years now. And she's always posting 
their travels and their adventures. You know, they're both retired, so they're living the, their their life <laughs> in yeah. in Texas, and it's just it's just amazing. And you know, the relationship is so fulfilling to her, and it doesn't feel you know she doesn't feel that resentment she used to feel, or just that pure exhaustion. You know, when she thought of a relationship, you know, anymore, and it's just it's amazing. And um, you know, so I, I, I mean, not that like getting over any pattern is you know you know, a small thing compared to people pleasing, but it just feels like from my experience working with clients, the people pleasers have the hardest time letting go of, of those habits. You know what? I have something funny in my practice. I have a lot of um, people that date people pleasers, which is um, yeah. a whole other situation. And I have a lot yeah. of women who date the male people pleaser. And, um, this is like fascinating for me to, to see because the scary thing about dating a people, people pleaser is that you don't really, I feel like there's just no security there. You really don't know where you stand because they're kind of true, like treating you as like a, like a quota, almost like I, you know, the, the, they're the one that'll be like, must check in three times a day, like must. Mm -hmm. And it's only because they like need to, to get like an, uh, like a star, you know, at the end of the day, they yeah. need to get like an eight to get an A plus. And, um, I think it's really important to not only think, am I, you know, am I people pleasing, but also am I, do I attract people pleasers? And, um, mm -hmm. because typically people pleasers can also sometimes those of us who like, um, kind of type A or overachievers, and you don't have to be, you can be an overachiever and not a people pleaser, but a lot of overachievers are, end up being people pleasers. Um, yeah. so like if we're attracted to overachievers, we like maybe, you know, attracting both things. And, um, that is really something to make sure that somebody, um, like truly wants you and it's like choosing to be with you and not because they're necessarily like trying to, you know, check some things off the list or something. Um, cause yeah. that, that I, those, those relationships end up, end up being pretty devastating. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think, and people pleasers can come, you know, in a variety of forms, like you said, perfectionist, um, you know, like, um, for me, like I'm, I, I don't like relate to being a people pleaser in the sense of like wanting to please like my partner however I'm very much a perfectionist and I want to achieve this and that and do this and that mm -hmm. and when I really think about why I want to do all of these things it's because I have some like deep-rooted beliefs till that sometimes comes out to play that if I can achieve these things or whatever then right. people will like me more I'm like what mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make any yeah. sense but like yeah there's still like this deep-rooted stuff that comes up so people pleasing can definitely show up in in many forms and it's not like the you know the stereotypical like you know woman who you know just wants to like be pleasing and not argumentative and not rock the boat with right, you know, right. With it's not it's, it's really not about that right it's just like you know and we all have a little bit of it of it, of it yeah. in us um you Renica, you talk a lot about rejection um mm -hmm. what like how do you people who are afraid of putting themselves out there, you know, fear of rejection or fear of like, I find I have a lot of clients sometimes who don't want to get to the bottom of the relation. Like they, they, they kind of leave it in limbo long enough because they don't want to know if it's going to be a yes or a no. Um, mm -hmm. So they like, they stay in limbo for a long time. I'm like, and I always say like, I'm always like, you got to get to the bottom of it. Like get to the bottom of it. Like, is it a yes or is it a no? Um, but sometimes like staying in that gray 
phase like keeps you safe from rejection. Um, so yeah. I was just wondering like how, how do you coach your clients through rejection or the idea of, of a possible rejection? Oh my gosh. I have coached my clients through so many of these kind of situations and like, they'll tell me <laughs> in those moments, like they're like, fuck Veronica, I'm so mad at her. Like, blah, 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 because like they didn't go what they wanted. They got the rejection. Um, you know, but what I always say is that you can't lose because if you ask for what you want, so maybe you want to take the relationship to the next level. Maybe you want to know how they're feeling. Maybe you want them to call instead of text or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, you can't lose by asking for what you want or sharing how you feel because either A, you're going to get what you want and then you're going to feel happier, more loved, more supported, more fulfilled in the relationship and then that's a win. Or you're not going to get what you asked for or you're not, you know, you're not wasting your time. (laughs) Yeah. And you're not wasting your time and you get to save so much time and energy. And here's the thing that, um, I think it's really important to remember, like I, and I'm sure you do, I worked probably about 50%, 50, 56% of my clients are in their thirties and they're in that stage where they still want to get married. They want to have kids. And so a lot of them feel the pressure around the biological clock. And we can talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, some of the patriarchy that runs in this conversation. That's another conversation. However, the societal pressure is still very much real. And so there's so many women who put so much pressure on themselves to meet the person and they can't take a date where they have to date, date, date and go on 25 dates a week or whatever until they meet the right person. And yet they'll be in a relationship where you don't, they don't know where the other person stands or they're not getting their needs met. And it's not even clear if that person will be able to fulfill those needs. And I'm like, you're not wanting to waste your time. And yet you kind of are because you're not figuring out if it's a yes or no. And so I think the sooner that you can figure out if it's a yes or no, like you you just can't lose. Like even if there's some short-term pain in the no, you know, if, if they're not able to give you what you want or what you need, you just, gosh, it'll be so much easier to move on from a relationship that only lasted a month or two or three months than one that just dragged out over a year or multiple years um, because you weren't willing to, you know, to to ask for what you want. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's ultimately what I say. And I have them just make the choice. Like, do you want to potentially waste your time or do you want to get what you want? And, (laughs) and then from there, the choice is like, all right, fine, Veronica, you win. I'll do it. And then they often ask, and again, sometimes it goes the way they want. And then sometimes, and, and here's the thing, I would say a lot of times it doesn't go the way they want. And here's, and here's why. Um, because if they're already asking this question and they're bringing it to our coaching session, there's probably some intuitive hit they're already getting that this person is not going to be able to give them what they want or need in the relationship mm-hmm. or that they're not where they're at. So and they're like, being called to, to position the question, you know, to, exactly. to be able. Yeah. The way exactly. that I see that is kind of like, just because I see everything like energy based, but it's like, you know, you, you energetically, I'm throwing out, like, I always say, like, I'm throwing out a yellow brick road. I'm saying like, okay, I'm trying to get to this castle and this castle is like the kind of relationship that I want. And Mm -hmm. I like, that's happening for me. Like I've already set the intention for that. It's, it's happening for me. So I'm going to meet these people on my, on my yellow brick road. And some of them are going to have the same road, like side by side. And some of them, their roads are going into different places. So I, but we can't see the road in front of us. Right. So I just mm-hmm. like, if they are, if I position that question and you know, whatever my doubts are, or whatever, and they say, no, it's just, it just means that like they were not a match for that road. Like they're not, they're mm-hmm. not on the same road and there's nothing 
again, there shouldn't be a reason to make a story around that. It's just like, okay, cool. Like that, just because that did not work out, that does not mean that I get to use that to, to add more, um, as if I'm using that to add that as evidence towards like one side of my, you know, one side of my argument that I'm never going to fall in love. Like I don't get to use that experience as evidence. Like it's just, and, and on the contrary, I get to use that experience as like, great. My, you know, manifesting is working. My intention is working. What is not for me is falling apart. It's like leaving me. So yeah. that's great. What I'm doing is working. Um, but the whole limbo thing, what a freaking waste of time. <laughs> yeah. I think being in limbo is way more painful than totally having, do, having your why answer. Why do we do it? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Why do we do it to yeah. ourselves? And then always just, um, you know, and just being able, I, I also, you know, of course, our, when we're, when we're trying to get some sort of answer, our delivery is not always great. And it could be, um, you know, ridden with, with a lot of anxiety. And like, sometimes we drop our, you know, our irresponsibly, like drop some like anxiety on the other person and things like that. But I also feel that even if you do that and you cross some lines and you make mis- some mistakes and your delivery is a little off than what you would have liked, um, I think that at the end of the day, the right person is going to be able to handle that and hold that and not think you're mm-hmm. a crazy person and be like, okay, you're having mm-hmm. a crazy moment, but um, like, don't, you know, like, do not be concerned. Like, this is where we're going, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is what I see for ourselves. So I don't think you can, cause I think there's a fear of messing it up also. Like when you're going to have that conversation or, you know, f- get to the bottom of it, you think that you can either that if it doesn't work, it's your fault, but always because of like the way you're delivering the information, but always knowing that like the right person will receive you in your scariest of times, like in your most anxious times. Totally. Totally. Like like aside from just saying something like off the wall or really mean to the other person, like, right. Like whatever you say, like is not going to be the thing that messes it up. Like totally something else something else going on. Yeah, I agree. I remember, I remember actually this moment with my husband. Um, We were already seeing each other regularly. I don't know how many, how many months or weeks in or whatever, but I I still say that like, I'm still waiting for my husband to ask me to be his girlfriend. Cause like, I never got an official, like, will you be my girlfriend? Um, He he did ask to marry me, but I I didn't get a girlfriend request. Um, So I remember like just one, just somewhere into the relationship um, we were obviously pretty steady, but I went out with some girlfriends and there was a guy there that I've met a few times and he liked me, but he knew I had a boy like, or, or, you know, I was dating this guy for a long time. Um, and he was like, Nikki, that guy's not going to marry you. Like he's, you know, like he, like, how do you, how are you sure that he like loves you and that he's not going to marry you and all these kind of things. And like really just getting into my head and I'm like, oh my God, this motherfucker might be right. Um, look at me. I'm like such an asshole here. Like, who knows? So I come back like that evening with going out with my friends and I go home to my then boyfriend's home. Like I, he didn't go out, but I, I was meeting him at his home, slept over that Mm -hmm. night. And I remember like, I woke up the guy at like, you know, it was probably like one in the morning and I was like, Benny, I was out tonight. And this guy who has been liking me, like who's liked me for so many months, he told me that you're not going to marry me. And then he was like, what? Wait, what's happening? I'm so confused. He's like, there was a guy who was hitting on you and told you that I was, that, that he, I was not going to marry. And I was like, yes. 
And, he, and then like, that was what started the conversation. Obviously the weirdest delivery on my part, the way that I delivered the information, but it <laughs> opened up the conversation. My husband, of course, like cracked up and like thought it was so funny and so, so sweet and was able to see that like, I was a crazy person, but at the same time, like was happy to give me like the security that I needed in the moment. Um, even though, you know, he never even, he was Mr. Cool guy, like never really asked me, um, like I said, to be his girlfriend or anything. So I just, I just, I don't know. I just really believe that, um, you can't mess it up. Like you really can't. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. agree. So, um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'm wondering, so you have this beautiful free training that on your site, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about it, about it. And also, um, hopefully we can sign up if you tell us how to sign up. Yeah, so I have a free training called Five Steps to Ending Overwhelm and Anxiety and Dating. And in that free training, I really walk you through, it's it's a good intro to, you know, I talked a little bit about, um, you know, the inner child work and how that affects your relationships as adults. And so I walk you through, you know, how to begin doing that. And it really answers the question of why are you in this pattern that you're in or why are you settling for scraps or why are you doing this or that in, in relationships? And so I teach you how to um, begin to connect the dots um, as to, you know, why you're attracting, who you're attracting, and then begin that healing work so that you can move, you know, again, awareness is important. I want you to create the awareness, but then move from integration and implementation. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's totally free. So you can grab that over at veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop. I love that. That's such an important um, work to do to kind of look at like, so why does my world look like this? Like, why am I attracting what I'm attracting? And then, you know, moving from there. So I, I love that. Yeah. That's, that's we, can, great. we can blame it on, yeah, we can blame it on like men or online dating or whatever. And I, I talk, and I thought was in the workshop, all of those things ultimately are symptoms to a deeper issue. And so the workshop really looks at helping you discover what that deeper thing is. Okay, great. So we'll, we will share that in the show notes, guys, so you can have that link. Um, you also have a really um, amazing podcast that's like so service-oriented, Love Life Connection, right? That's, I yeah. think just, that's always been the name or did you? I don't know if I... It used to be right. Date Yourself Radio. Um, okay. I changed okay, that right. like way back in 2016 um, in case some people are like searching that from, you know, when I was on podcasts forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's called a Love Life Connection and um, I bring on clients, but then also women in the community and I coach them through, you know, I like to call it a situationship <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in their life. And it's... Um, not all the coaching calls, but probably most of them are inner child focused. So it's looking at the deeper things that are blocking them from the relationship or the love or the happiness that, that they want. Um, and then I also do some solo episodes where I'm just, you know, riffing on various topics. And then I occasionally will um, bring on a guest, kind of like an adjacent topic, you know, it's not necessarily about love. Okay. Like I had one recently around um, preserving fertility for your thirties and, you know, things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a fun podcast and, um, it's available probably wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. So love life connection. All right. Well, Veronica, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Um, thank you for the work you're doing in the world and, Thank you for doing that campaign so many years ago. Hopefully you can campaign next year. No, this year. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> for something else. Um, so 
I'm sure I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine. Um, so thank you um, for everything and any last words for your good. Um, I think the only last words, you know, I have is, you know, wherever, wherever you are in your love life, you, you deserve what you want. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to be fixed. You're you're not broken. Um, and whatever might be blocking you or slowing you down, like it's, it's totally shiftable, transformable. Like nothing is, nothing is impossible and out of reach. Yes, I, I agree. I love that. Thank you again, Veronica, and um, we hope to catch you on your podcast next. Thank you. Yep, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For more guidance on your journey to the final swipe, please visit me at NikkiNovo.com. 